That'll make things way easier. Good morning, everybody. And thank you, worship team, for leading us beautifully this morning. And just want to echo what uh, Kevin has already said, and that is a happy Mother's Day today. So for all of our moms, obviously for me to uh, Leanne, a great mom to our three, but for all of the moms here today, grandmothers and moms and great-grandmothers and great-aunts, and to those of you who are spiritual moms in this place that are praying for and pouring into and mentoring others in this community, just say a huge a huge thank you to you. It's part of what keeps this place, as Kevin said, a, a, a community that is focused on Christ. So happy Mother's Day. Our theme today that we're carrying on, part of our year-long theme, is a kind of mini-series, just a quick hit, four weeks that Kevin started last week, and it is on Restore, about the presence and the power of the kingdom of God. I want to start with an apology. Uh, Paul is Paul, Paul Lewis. I'm afraid, as you can see, my shirt today does not match the color of the font. Uh, I found out too late I didn't have anything that would fit that wasn't in the dirty laundry. So hopefully, somehow, you can still choose to focus and pay attention this morning. But we'll, uh, I guess we'll find out at the end. This series has been a reminder to us that Jesus has taken his authority and passed it on to his followers through the person of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of pushing back the darkness and evil that exist in this world. That is what Restore is all about. So last week, Kevin kicked it off. He talked to us from Matthew chapter 12, the passage about Jesus as the strong man, and reminded us, Kevin used the phrase, that there is no contest. Now, he didn't imply from that that we aren't in the midst of the battle for our lives. He was not implying that there actually isn't a contest between good and evil, between the kingdom of heaven, now come on earth, and the kingdom of this world that will be embedded here until Christ returns. So he wasn't saying no contest in that 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 battle is not very, very real. He was saying no contest in that we know the ultimate outcome is not up for discussion. Jesus wins. And we live in this place in the meantime where he has given us the authority to push back this kingdom of darkness. So today we're moving on and we're, we're actually looking back a story, but moving on in the series, at Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 8. So they'll be up here originally while I read, but then we won't have them back up on the screen again. So if you can pull it up on an app or in your Bible, that would be great. Matthew 10, verses 5 to 8. We read, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, that's his, his disciples, with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Next slide. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you, can, as you have received. Let's pray. God, as we turn to this passage this morning, one that you gave so clearly to your disciples, we desire this morning to know what does this mean for us. So we pray that your spirit will give us both the words this morning, will give us the understanding of how this passage needs to impact us. For the sake, God, of seeing your kingdom more fully restored here on earth. 
that your presence and your power is fully at work amongst us. So guide us, I pray, in your name and for your purposes this morning. Amen. Well, there is lots in this short passage, and we're going to take a look. It kind of breaks down into four little sections. And then at the end, we're going to come back because there's something that ties them together that I actually think is the most important part, and we'd be at risk for missing it. So here we go. The first section is this idea that they are only to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And when we hear that, the restriction to only go to Israel can seem startling or even jarring to us. Because we now live on the other side and we know the scriptures. We know so God so, so <laughs> for God so loved the what? The whole world, right? We know that God, the gospel is for all people, all nations, all tribes, all languages. So it seems kind of startling for us to hear Jesus, who has a heart and compassion for the world, restrict the disciples and tell them that they were only allowed to go to Israel. Why not the Gentiles? Gentiles just meaning a, a word for those who are not Jewish. Why not to the Gentiles? Why not to Samaria? This restriction is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew also describes Jesus' own ministry as being restricted just to the Jewish people in chapter 15. Now we know Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience Maybe he had kind of an anti-Gentile anti bias. Maybe he was against those who weren't Jews. But as we read the rest of his book, we realize that can't be the case. He, he speaks several times about how God's plan of salvation will include all people. And at the end, Matthew in chapter 28 gives us one of the most clearest commands to, to all the followers of Christ in the Great Commission, which he says is to go to all nations. So here, what Matthew is describing is more of a historical fact, other than two small exceptions, both recorded in his book. One was a centurion who came into Israel to seek out Jesus, and one was a Canaanite woman, again, who, who came into Israel to seek out Jesus. Aside from those two encounters, all of the pre-resurrection ministry of both Jesus and his disciples was only to Israel. So we need to figure this out a little bit. So if we can put a map up here, really what we're talking about, if you look at the yellow there, that's where this conversation took place in Galilee. North of there was Syria. If they moved to the east, they're into the Decapolis, which was 10 um, Greek nations, 10 Gentile nations. If they go to the south, they're into Samaria, and God told them not to go there. So really what he's saying to them is stay put in Galilee. But we need to remember today, those instructions, they were specific, they were intentional, they were strategic for that mission at that time. The whole of Scripture is clear that God's plan was for all people to be blessed through the people of Abraham. It had to go to the Jewish people first. The time for the Gentile mission would come, but right now God was aligning all of his human resources and allocating all of them to this first stage of reaching the Jewish people with the gospel and the news of that the kingdom of heaven was coming near. Soon enough, Jesus would tell these same disciples in Acts 1.8 that once the Holy Spirit would come in power upon them, that would happen at Pentecost, this restriction would be lifted. 
At that point, it was not just to Israel. At that point, he told them, you can see Jerusalem near the bottom. He said to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then broader to Judea, and then broader to Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. So very soon, Jesus would tell the same group of disciples that their restriction would be lifted. And that makes sense. Once the Holy Spirit indwelled all believers, then God had the human resources to be able to send his word out through us, his voice, his hands, his feet, to reach the entire globe. But for now, in this context, it was limited and restricted just to Israel. Section 2 of this passage, he then says, Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Notice he does not just say, go and live amongst them. It's go and announce. Friends, we are not called only to be kind and loving and hope that somehow people connect the dots back to Jesus. It is not enough. We are called that that the announcement, just like this year at Forestbrook of the kingdom of heaven, the announcement was that the kingdom of heaven was near. That is to be, while we are going out and being kind and loving, it is to connect back to that announcement. The kingdom of heaven. God has come near. It is the same announcement that John the Baptist made. It is the same message that Jesus made. It's the same announcement that he tells the disciples to make and the same one that he calls everyone who is teaching in small groups here and with the kids downstairs and from this platform. It is the same announcement we're to make. That the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the implication of that is to repent and be saved. Different cultures, now different countries, different languages, certainly different technology. The same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is so opposite to the message of doom and gloom often from the Old Testament as God was reaching out to his people through prophets like Jonah and warning cities like Nineveh of destruction. This is different. This is a message of good news. And for the disciples, they were to go out, and and it was almost like the first light of day, and they were bringing the news that the sun was about to rise. Go and announce. So section one, only to Israel. Section two, announce the kingdom of heaven is near. Section three is now about the demonstration of the power of the kingdom. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those with leprosy and cast out demons. In Matthew 10, verse 1, just a few verses before, it tells us that Jesus gave the disciples authority and power to cast out demons and heal every kind of sickness. I think it's important for us to notice that as Jesus takes this step, for the first time commissioning his his followers under the authority and power of the Spirit to perform miracles on his behalf, to demonstrate the kingdom of God. He doesn't send them out to do acts that would look like spectacular magic. He doesn't call them out to tell the mountains to crumble into the sea. He doesn't call them out to call fire from heaven. It's not about theatrics. These are compassionate, life-changing miracles. They would demonstrate to people that their God is a good, a powerful, and a merciful God. These four types of miracles in this, healing, cleansing, casting, and and bringing the dead new life, they parallel the exact four things that Jesus did in his ministry. And that makes sense. 
they were given the same authority. They were empowered by the same spirit. So these four types of miracles became known as the signs of the kingdom, demonstrating that the kingdom of God had come. In fact, in the next chapter, when John the Baptist sends a question saying, how do we know if this is really the Messiah? Has the Messiah come? Which really means, has, has the kingdom? Has God's kingdom come to earth? Jesus responds and says, tell John that people are healed. Lepers are cleansed. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus identified these as signs that his kingdom had broken here in here on earth. Taken together, they demonstrate people being made well. People finding a place to belong, those who are cleansed from leprosy. People being freed from strongholds, those who are having demons cast out. And gaining new life. I just want to read those again. They demonstrate people being made well. Finding a place to belong. Being free from strongholds. And gaining new life. The demonstration of the kingdom of God. But we, need to, we do need to take a bit of a, a hard look at this section. Miracles are tough to understand in scripture and maybe even more so today. For example, despite Jesus sending out these disciples, giving them authority to raise the dead, there actually are no biblical accounts of his disciples raising anyone physically from the dead prior to Pentecost. It happened after Pentecost, but if we remember, that's the restriction had been lifted. So in terms of this, this time where they were to go amongst Israel, as far as we know, the disciples didn't raise anyone from the dead. Jesus did. He raised the widow's son in Luke 7 and Jairus' daughter in Luke 8 and Lazarus in Luke 11 and many more after the resurrection. But there's none by the disciples. Why? We don't know. I would think if it had happened, it would have been recorded. Perhaps the depth of that kind of faith would only come to them after the Holy Spirit had come down and indwelled them. After they had witnessed the miracle of Jesus' own resurrection. Up until that time, perhaps the, the, the faith to believe that God could actually raise someone from the dead was so foreign that it would need to wait until the Holy, Holy Spirit not only empowered them from the outside, but was within them, changing and growing their faith from the inside. Perhaps Jesus here was speaking as well of raising the, the spiritually dead. Helping those who were separated from God to find new life. The same way Jesus talked about needing to be born again. That's another possibility. The truth is we don't fully know what to make of that raise the dead peace um, for the disciples during that time in Israel. But here's what we do know. We know that the miracles that God freed them to do and gave them the authority to do and the many that they did do were a demonstration of the power of God indicating his kingdom had indeed invaded earth. So some today argue that those miracles in that sense are no longer needed. That the reality of God's kingdom has come and been established and his scripture has explained things clearly. I would respectfully disagree. It's true that in some places today, just like in Bible times, a lack of faith may make some of these miracles a rarity. It's hard to imagine some of those miracles playing out today. Three days ago, on Thursday, in our Christian calendar, it was the day of ascension, which is, is the day to remember Christ being taken back up into glory. 
Imagine that scene playing out today on the streets of downtown Toronto. The crowds would be there in full skeptical voice, thinking this was yet another theatrical display, someone like David Blaine or David Copperfield doing street magic. People would be saying to each other that they were able to see the wires that had lifted them back up into the sky. And there would be this, this determination to try to prove it false. But friends, even in our skeptical world today, as much as ever, people still need to see the power of the kingdom of heaven demonstrated in the here and now. Can God still do miracles? Yes. Does God still do miracles? Yes. Does his spirit still desire to work through us to heal and to cleanse and cast out and bring new life in order to demonstrate that the kingdom has come? I believe the answer is a resounding yes. But I will add this. I think that in a society as skeptical as ours, that there may be an equally effective demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God, and it's this. The power of a changed life. We live in a day and age when people will go to great lengths to try and rationalize away genuine miracles. Science and medicine and coincidence and fate are all used to try to explain away genuine, legitimate acts of God. But when God changes the life of someone that we know well, when God turns around someone's life and the family sees it, and the neighbors see it, and the co-workers or people at school see it, they have to come to terms with something that is otherwise unexplainable. And just like these other four types of miracles, a truly changed life, I believe, again, demonstrates the power of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. I want to share a story with you that uh, happened many years ago, back in July 2001. What you're looking at is a picture. Uh, Google Maps is amazing. <laughs> this is a small First Nations reserve down in, in the middle of the desert of Nevada. There was 170 homes in the middle of nowhere and then this small recreation center. And the story I'm about to tell took place on that little patch of grass that you'll see there at the back, a little backfield in the middle of the desert that was seeded and watered and, and they had this little piece of grass. We were there, much like our youth teams go down, have gone down for so many years to Jamaica, was there with a team of about 20 young people uh, from a, a church youth group. And I went back this week to kind of read this through in, in my journal and refresh my memory of it. And the local pastors and Christians around this tiny little pocket, this little reserve, had been praying for 30 months for God to send revival to this little patch, 700 people, 170 homes. And we were there for about 10 days, and we experienced some amazing demonstrations, including unexplainable, including miracles of God's power that week. But on our last night, I saw the most amazing demonstration of all. We had set up a tent that was a 40 by 60 foot tent, and we had a service going on. And outside, we could see people wandering in the field. One of them was one of the tribe's leaders. A large, aggressive, intimidating guy that we had encountered many times that week. And saw him that night. It was, it was still light out. 
could see him out on the field, and he was out, and he was wandering, and we could see him talking to himself, and he was kicking at the ground, and you could see him gritting his teeth. You could almost hear the, this battle going on, at times even like fighting the air, pushing away, and you could just see the turmoil in this man, and it was like a fish on a line. He would come a bit closer to the tent. He hadn't been there. We'd set up every night the whole week. He'd never come. We'd invited him every night, and he told us what he thought of that invitation. Yet here he was on the field, and he would come closer to the tent, and then he would push himself back away and kick at the ground and walk back. And it was this, almost like this fighting dance that was happening. And eventually, about 20 minutes later, this man got to the, the threshold. The, the tent didn't have flaps around the side, but he kind of got to the edge. And as he stepped over... He dropped to the ground, and he started weeping. And he began to walk his way up to the microphone, a completely different posture. With head held low and tears running off his face, he asked if he could come to the microphone, and he came to the microphone. And he began immediately to confess. He confessed it. He confessed alcoholism. He confessed domestic violence in his home. He confessed domestic violence to others in the community. And he asked the people there for forgiveness. As tears continued to run down his face, his shoulders were, were shaking and sobbing, and people came up and began surrounding them and putting, putting their arms around him. My contact, Dan, who was the, our setup for, for bringing the trip down, I went back down with Leanne uh, several months later, just so she could kind of experience some of what had happened down there. And he told us that over a dozen people, that man went on, sorry, to become a co-pastor of a small group that began meeting right in that building at that recreational center. And he told us that over a dozen people had come to faith because this man's life had so thoroughly been turned around that no one in the community could explain it. The demonstration of the power and authority of the kingdom of God. So I don't want to lose sight of that. Yes, I believe God still will do miracles where those are the best way that he can demonstrate that. And he has given us the authority and power of his Holy Spirit to step into that. But let's not lose sight this morning of the demonstration power of a life that has changed. Section 4. He then goes on and he says, give as freely as you have received. A lot of us may know that from a, uh, an old song. Jesus knew, I think, as he told them this, that in a few short years, certainly by the end of the first century, there were mercenary prophets. There were prophets that would prophesy in exchange for money. They would tell you what you wanted to hear. A few, sh very short time later, Simon Magnus in Acts chapter 8, who was a street magician, he tried to purchase the power of the Spirit so he could use it for his own monetary gain. But this verse, this give as freely as you have received, it's a reminder to the apostles, it's a reminder to us, we did not earn our salvation. We did not earn our standing with God. We did not earn the authority that he grants us through the power of his Spirit. We did not earn his Holy Spirit inside us to be able to move ahead and do God's work. These things were freely given to us, and we are to freely offer them to others. 
he does say a couple verses later that, that when the disciples went, they were allowed to receive shelter. They were allowed to receive food. So it wasn't about that. He's talking about something different. He's talking about forbidding, charging people access to the gospel, access to the announcement, access to the life-changing power of God. It was not to be bought and sold. So what does it look like to freely give? I think it looks like the Apostle Andrew running to tell his brother that he has just found the Messiah. I think it looks like us choosing to pray and intercede for others because people have prayed and interceded for us. That it looks like us forgiving others because Christ forgave us first. There was a Methodist missionary named D.T. Miles, and, and he said it looks like one beggar telling another beggar where he just went and found food. So when we, when we were meeting, Kevin used the phrase to go out in a spirit of grace. That we would go out humbly as we announce and demonstrate the power. Freely we have received. Freely let's pass it on to others. Those are the four sections in this passage. But I want to wrap it up. I said at the beginning, there's something that I think actually ties together that is the main point. And it's this. The proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation that the kingdom has come, and the demonstration of the power of the kingdom are meant to go together. They are two complementary parts of one single announcement. The announcement is that the, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. The miracles, the demonstration of God's power validate the message that he's come. The message that he has come and is broken in and is amongst us is what gives context and purpose and clarity around understanding the miracles. They are not meant, friends, to exist in isolation. Both are needed for the kingdom to be fully grasped. Dave Brereton used to be our national director at, uh, at Youth for Christ, and he would always use the image of train tracks as he was talking about this, reminding us that neither track is sufficient on its own. We need both the message and the demonstration. And at times people would ask him, well, Dave, what about a monorail? Like, it's, it's really cool and it's really fast. And he would point out, no, that's heresy. The gospel is not like a monorail. <laughs> you need two tracks. You need the demonstration of the power. And you need the proclamation of the message. In Luke 4, Jesus declared at the start of his ministry from a passage in Isaiah 61. You know the passage well. But he talked about both the proclamation and the miracles or, and power. That in his ministry, in his calling, they were to go together. And he showed us in Mark 2 how it works. See, he announced the kingdom when he said to the paralytic man who was dropped through the roof. He said to him and announced, your sins are forgiven. Proclaiming the kingdom, right? Proclaiming the good news. Speaking it. But the crowd, because they didn't believe Jesus... He went a step further and, and gave them validation. He told the man to stand up and walk. Why? Because in that moment he knew that that demonstration of the power of the kingdom would allow people to believe the message that this man's sins could be forgiven. The two of these work together. Confirming Dave's theory that the kingdom of God is not like a monorail. So what does that mean for us? Well, as we proclaim and practice the kingdom, others see it. They taste it. They, they have to experience it and figure out what it's all about. And some will choose to join. 
That's how the kingdom of heaven advances. But the reality for most of us, I believe most of us probably lean to one track or the other. I think most of us have a preference. Maybe out of comfort, maybe out of confidence, maybe out of what we've experienced or what we've grown up with, maybe just out of personality, we might lean one way or the other. And so if I can uh, be as blunt this morning as to suggest from this passage that those of us who lean towards sharing the message to the announcement side, we should look further into what it means to live with the authority that Jesus has given to us. Praying for God's power to be at work in us and around us and through us and seek to demonstrate the power of the kingdom through lives that have been changed. And those of us that may lean a bit more to the demonstration side of the kingdom, perhaps through kindness, perhaps through acts of good works, perhaps through taking authority in the spiritual realm, that we should remember the importance of speaking the good news as a way to give the full context, to connect the dots and let people understand that what is being demonstrated is actually the power of God. We will all have these opportunities ahead of, this, ahead of us this week. It's whether we recognize them, it's whether we have the courage to step into them. You know, for someone, uh, we, we've prayed, Gary, Kevin prayed for you this morning. For someone like Gary, this is a beautiful opportunity that you have this week. To be able to go, that's Gary with the halo on the top left, <laughs> if you can't pick him out. I know he's very hard to uh, pick out in that picture. But... Gary, you've got the opportunity this week to go and to announce the good news, to demonstrate the good news of God's kingdom. And ask that all of us would be praying for Gary this week as he steps into that. But it's not just at times that we step out to Hungry Valley or we step out to the Philippines or out onto a, a, you know, something that's on the calendar. All of us are stepping into mission this week. That's the way this works. If we're going back to school, we're stepping into mission. If we're going back home to, to help care for our family or for aging parents, that's stepping into our mission. If you're going to work somewhere this week, it's stepping into our mission. On your street, in your condo, at your apartment, stepping into mission of the lives around us. May God give us the courage to announce and demonstrate his kingdom well. Let's pray as our worship team comes back up. <clears throat> God, it is extraordinary for us to think that you who spoke the world into creation chose to pass on your power and your authority through your Holy Spirit to us. Broken, fragile people who are stumbling forward, but we're with you and our eyes are on you. God, I pray this week that you would give us the courage at times to share with people the difference you've made in our life, to share with people the good news of who you are, that you're there, that you love them, that their lives can be turned around. I pray as well that you will give us the desire and the courage this week to seek to demonstrate the power of your kingdom. God, maybe that's stepping out, out of our comfort zone, asking you, praying on behalf of others to do something extraordinary that would demonstrate who you are in their life. May we always be seeking to prayerfully demonstrate the power of changed lives. We recognize just how much 
that can impact the people around us. This is your kingdom. Message and power together. God, may we steward this message well. And may it draw others to you. In your name I pray. Amen.